Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you, big book study. My name is Katie F., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, November 4th, 2015. Today we are reading from the big book, Chapter 1, Bill's Story, and we are at page 3, paragraph 2. Today's readers are Renata G., Lynn S., and Devorah S. The reference number for Tuesday, November 3rd, is 8169. That's 8169. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting for our own contributions neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Diane G. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. This is Diane G. from New Hampshire, a grateful, recovered, not short, compulsive overeater. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you so much, and I pass. Thank you, Diane G. I will now ask Nadia B. to read the 12 Traditions. Good morning. This is Nadia B., Recovering Compulsive Reader in Connecticut. The 12 traditions of a reader synonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. 
Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for way membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive reader who still suffers. Six, an OA group are never endorsed, financed, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. These problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought to never be organized but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those who they serve. 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought to never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. Thank you, Nadia. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book on page three, paragraph two. I will now ask Renata G. to begin reading. Thank you, Katie, for your service. Uh, good morning, family. This is Renata G., Recovered Compulsory Reader in New York. My drinking assumed more serious proportions, continue all day and almost every night. The remonstrance of my friends terminated in a row, and I became a lone wolf. There were many unhappy scenes in our sumptuous apartment. There had been no real infidelity for loyalty to my wife, helped it at times by extreme drunkenness, kept me out of those scrapes. And, uh, you know, like we see the progression, uh, progression of the disease in Bill's life here, and, you know, my eating also assumed more serious proportion. You know, uh, my eating got 
worse and worse and there were no no breaks in between you know i would um binge during the day but you know like not like huge binges that i couldn't go to work but i would be constantly eating and then you know so i could bear life right and then in the evening i would go home and i would bring all my binge foods with me and uh i would use alcohol too to really go into oblivion and um that's how I lived for, for a long time, you know, eating throughout the day and really, really binging and drinking in the evening. And, um, and, and the cycle was constant. And in the past, I could diet for a period of time until I couldn't do it anymore. I would start a diet on Monday morning, and by lunchtime, I was done. And so, you know, um, you know I couldn't... Uh, control my my eating anymore I was completely out of control I started to isolate just like Bill did you know uh, people around me saw my misery my parents like you know uh, the desperation of them like trying to help me and there were nothing they could do you know my mom brought me to professionals in order to try to help me stop eating the way I was eating but nothing worked and, um, you know, when I get to this point of Bill's story with my sponsees, I ask them to write an assignment. And I ask them, like, how did your eating assume more serious proportions? And, like, what were some of the unhappy things that this disease has brought into your life? You know, and for me, like, there were, like, months at, at a time that I, I would be depressed, like, literally just lying on a couch and watching TV, and having suicidal thoughts and, you know, like I said, watching my parents' desperation because they couldn't help me. And I would, you know, quit my job like they were nothing, you know. I would get so filled with resentment and fears that I would, I would just go to work one day, wake up and go to work and say, I quit because I couldn't, I couldn't cope with life. I couldn't have relationships with people. I could not respect authority figures. And, you know, my life was completely unmanageable. Even though I've always been responsible in a sense that I would not miss work and I would work hard, whenever I couldn't take it anymore, I would just quit. Um, and so, you know, that would cause, like, long-term unemployment and, you know, I couldn't really follow instructions. I want to live life the way I wanted to live and people did not do what I want them to do. And, you know, today, by the grace of God and this self-set, all of this has been removed. I do not live in that miserable life that I lived in the past. And, uh, you know, today, to the best of my ability, I do live a life of sane and happy usefulness to others. It's not perfect, but it's a hundred million times better than what it used to be in the past. And it's progressive, too. My recovery, as I keep working in the steps, gets progressive too and uh you know no more insecurities and lying and cheating and hiding and being irresponsible um and with that i pass thanks thank you renata who would like to share on this paragraph julia this is bella can i say melissa c reva p okay wait wait okay okay i have 
one second. Let me see, see, see here. Okay. I have Julie R., Paula D., Bella G., Melissa C., Kim G., and who else did I miss? Reva P. Tina S. Reva P. And is that Tina S.? Yes. Okay. Okay, well, let's go with those. Um, Seven. Julie R., Paula D., Bella G., Melissa C., Kim G., Reva P., and Tina S. Thank you, Julie. Hi. Hi. Thanks, Katie, for your service. This is Julie R., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in California. You know, I have this paragraph colored, highlighted in so many different um, pink, blue, yellow, because at different times of my recovery, something else would hit me. And the first one, my drinking assumed more serious proportions, continuing all day and almost every night. You know, as my disease progressed, I didn't have very much in-between time. Um, And I don't mean in-between sanity. I mean in-between not eating. Uh, The new diets got farther and farther in-between because I couldn't even start again. I I couldn't stop. Um, I shared the other day it was New Year's Eve. And we had cake, and at 11.59, as my husband's got, you know, champagne or whatever, I'm sitting there shoving cake in my mouth because my new diet was going to fix me. And 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 I really thought that was going to work. Um, and I've been in OA, too. I've been in OA since, like, 1983, so it's not like this is a new program for me. But I was eating all day all night, I'd have to. I mean, I'm five two, and I was—I believe my highest weight was two ninety eight. I had to eat a lot of calories, and I was also bulimic. So ten, twenty thousand calories was nothing for me to do in a day, and it was just a, a circle: eat, sleep, eat, feel bad, start over, whatever. And it just—you know—I loved it during the conference where that circle got smaller and smaller until it's a dot. I mean, that's all I was, and. And to see the pain on my husband's face where it says there were many unhappy scenes, that he felt helpless. He was a normal person. There was nothing he could do. He, he saw the wife, the woman that he loved and cherished, die slowly with each bite. And I look at my life just a year and a month ago when I was still in relapse and I was doing that. That dot got as small as it did five years ago. And this disease will take me there every time. You know that my abstinence, I have to protect it with my God. It's black and white. It's clear. I'm structured because I cannot get off that again because and, and, I won't make it. But today, you know, I'm almost in a normal body weight. Um, I'm free. I bake. I have candy dishes all at work for my engineers. It's a service. I don't ever want the food. It's neutral. But... That, you know, fast forward back a year and a month ago, I woke up with chocolate in my bed, wrappers, boxes. Thank you, God, for today. I live in the solution. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Julie R. And next is Paula D. and then Bella G. Good morning. This would be Paula D. From New Hampshire, currently recovered compulsive overeater by and with the grace of God. You know, as we look at these these words and we repeat them over and over, and that's what where Bill was over and over. 
And it says, and I'm going to just circle here and camp out just on these next couple of lines, the remonstrances. I can't even say the word remonstrate to present strong reasons against an act. That's what his friends, they saw. What they saw of my friends. I mean, these were people that liked him. He didn't even like him. But they did. Terminated. There it is. Termination of a day. Termination of a friendship. Termination of a job. We all know about that. In a row, and I became a lone wolf. Why a lone wolf? You see, eventually the pack has to travel. They have to move. Lone wolf can't keep up. So what they do, they eventually have to leave him. There it is. Here is where we find him. There were many unhappy scenes. Oh, yeah, I think we can all put the scenes together. You know, as as we sit on this line and we're here together, we can pretty much already know, can't we, what those scenes were. Bills? No. Mine. I knew where mine were. But these are words of what was. But to become what I am today, I had to look at this. And I want to go on and I want to end here because here's where it ends. There had been no real infidelity. So what does he look at? Well, you know, here I was okay. That's what kept me. Here I was okay. I didn't do that. For loyalty to my wife, helped at times by extreme drunkenness, really. What could possibly help by extreme drunkenness? This is his mind writing and talking. Now, this is in clarity. Kept me out of those scrapes. We know eventually we would all be in those scrapes, too. Something intervened. So here I'm going to leave, and we're going to go on with the story to find what, when, where, and how. Thank you for allowing me that time to share. With that, I will pass. Thank you. Bella G., you're up. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella G., and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Katie, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. My drinking assumed more serious proportions. Yes, it's not only Bill's story. It's my story, too. Yes, my disease didn't stay in one place. My disease grew more and more, and it got worse and worse. Yes, in the beginning, I was eating only when I was angry and upset and disappointed, and I ate only when I was alone. I didn't want other people to see the way I, I was eating. I was, I thought that I have a control, that I eat only when I am judging and blaming others, nothing to do with me. But then I didn't stay there. No, not at all. Then I got to eat. Also when I had uh, those little, uh, not, not many, but I had some happy times and excited times. And also then I was eating because I didn't know another way. I just found myself eating 
all day long and also at night. The only time that I didn't eat, it was when I was sleeping. And then also I didn't like to go to sleep because I wanted to be next to food. I didn't, in the beginning, I ate only when I was alone by myself, you know, nobody sees that I am eating. But then I didn't even care, you know, and I said, I don't care. I eat the way I want, and if you don't like, it's your problem. It's nothing to do with me. You don't have to, to, to look at me. And I didn't even think that... My thinking is so ridiculous that I am, I am suffering. I wanted so much the control, and the control was running away from me. Thank you, God, that I am not there anymore. Today, my, I, 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 can, see, I can say so peacefully, I accept and admit that I am powerless, and my only power that I have is to be able to choose to choose 24-7, and today, thank you, God, I choose to be connected only to you. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. Now we'll have Melissa C., followed by Kim G. Hi, good morning. This is Melissa C., a recovered compulsive overeater in New York. Thank you so much. Um, you know, my the proportion, my eating grew and grew and grew so that it was day and night. And what started out as um, an enjoyment of food, I thought, you know, I always liked food. I thought it was simple enjoyment, became necessity. And, um, you know, and I'm thinking a lot right now about what it means to be a lone wolf um, because I've... Um, Growing up in a large family, having seemingly lots of friends around me, I've always felt very alone. And, um, you know, and so I could be in a crowd of people, even engaging in a conversation, and somehow um, I'm not really there. I wasn't really authentically there. My, my mind was on the food, um, on myself, on my ego, and not on the people around me, feeling very disconnected from those around me. And then as my um, eating addiction grew, um, being even with other people in their company hurt. It was abrasive. It felt uncomfortable because I was embarrassed of the way that I needed to eat. And I was embarrassed of the way I looked and, and not fitting, you know, in a comfortable size and space. I felt like I took up too much space. And, um, and so I shied away from people and places. And, you know, um, food, what started out as enjoyable, became a wall and then grew into my cage because I couldn't get out. And, um, you know, I was walking in my neighborhood yesterday, um, and I ran into some neighbors. And, you know, it hurts me a little bit that I've lived in my neighborhood 16 years, and I have neighbors around me. I hardly know. Um, I'm friendly, I'm sweet, but I don't really authentically know them. And um, I'm so grateful today that I really want to be um, connected to people and not stuck inside my brain, stuck inside my ego, stuck inside my body. Um, You know, putting the food in its rightful place, um, 
makes me better able to be among my fellows. And I'll thank you with that, Karen. Thank you. Kim G, you're up. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive reader from South Jersey. You know, Bill's starting to feel consequences of his drinking, and he's still not seeing the destruction yet. And I think to myself, you know, as compulsive overeaters, we often downplay the idea that, oh, well, as compulsive overeaters, we only affect ourselves. We don't affect other people. We don't have the consequences that an alcoholic has. So as people were sharing, I was just writing down some consequences, some, some things looking back retrospectively that I see in my own life and other people who are compulsive overeaters. You know, we talk about money and we think, well, yeah, we don't spend as much money on food as people do on drugs and alcohol. But what about the cost of the clothing? I don't know about you, but I had clothes in my closet from a size 24 to size 2 that always had to be replenished. I always had to buy pants every couple of months because the inside of my thighs would wear out. What about medical treatment? What about the cost of diabetic medication, high blood pressure medication, CPAP machine, constantly having to go to doctors, all secondary to my obesity or my bulimia or my being underweight? What about the loss of money from jobs? due to sickness, not being able to get up in the morning, you know, calling out because I'm, because I'm you know, just too hungover. You know, there was a, a study done that, that on average obese people make $8,000 less than their counterparts. And I don't think that's all prejudice. I know for myself I was a pretty unreliable employee when I was committed to my disease more than I was committed to my job. You know, I know I have a good friend that went to nursing school, and before she started nursing school, the, the nursing person had a really tough talk with her, telling her if she didn't lose weight, she should probably not continue because she will not be able to do the duties of a nurse, and she quit. You know, I think about vacations. How many people, even with this weekend, didn't come because they didn't sit on a plane? You know, that, you know, I, I didn't go to the theater for many years because I couldn't, I couldn't sit in the seat. You know, what about with children? How many of us can't play with our kids in the, in the, in the um, playground because we don't fit in the machines. How many of us are home with our children but not available because we want them to go to bed so we can binge? You know, I have a friend that I have a little Honda Civic with a stick shift, and she can't be in the car with me because I can't, I can't change gears because her, her legs don't fit in the front of my car. You know, what about a friend of mine who had to delay the funeral of her husband because they had to custom order a coffin because he didn't fit in any other coffin. A girl in my office, a newlywed with a child under a year old, just lost her 29-year-old husband who was 450 pounds to a blood clot. I have another friend who also at the age of 29 lost her husband due to secondary things of obesity. You know, I think we need to be very serious about this disease and we have to be honest about the consequences of compulsive overeating and not downplay it because we are not an alcoholic. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Um, and now we'll have Reba P. followed by Tina S. Thank you. Good morning. Wow. Um, this is Reva P., Grateful, Recovered, Compulsive Overeater. This paragraph brings back so many remember when memories of how my disease reached more serious proportions. Um, and serious reminds me um, we tend to downplay the seriousness of this disease, but as so many have shared, it's just a slower progression to death um, with many medical complications along the way, um, just like any other drug. Um, and every night, I could not get through one night without 
binging and my binges got larger and larger. I remember seeing a dietitian or nutritionist who told me to write down everything I ate. And at the time, I was consuming thousands and thousands of calories um, in a matter of hours in the evening. And it scared me. And I knew it was insane, but I could not stop. Um, And for me, all day, I would count calories and starve and then have, I don't know, 10, 20,000 calories um, every night. And the seriousness was also with the calorie counting. Like it was just so all-consuming. I don't know how I did anything else. Um, I was just the walking dead um, and zombie at work because I needed all my energy to count calories, um, what I wasn't eating, what I was eating, what I should be eating, what I shouldn't be eating. I was very busy in my head. Um, And then the part about the lone wolf. For me, my um, overeating and binging and abusing laxatives and um, purging was um, a secret I had a certain persona, I thought, on the outside and pretended everything was fine. And then I would come into my apartment, close the door, and binge my face off. Um, It was a solitary activity. It was a huge secret. Um, And coming into program was the beginning of um, sharing my secrets and not having all my skeletons in the closet anymore. The other thing I wanted to share was the contrast between this paragraph and the one above, where in one paragraph he's arrived, and in the next paragraph he's unhappy, he's a loner, and he's drinking every day and every night. And that reminds me of the roller coaster of this disease. I'm high, I'm low. And if I'm too low, I need my drug to make me higher. And if I'm too high, I need my drug to make me lower. And it was up and down and up and down. And I kept using the words good day, bad day, good. I'm a good girl. I'm a bad girl. If I was good with the food, I was bad. Thank you, God. I don't even um, think that way anymore. Um, And it was exhausting. It was exhausting. So this week is a busy week. And thank you, God, for program that keeps things in balance, in the middle, moderation, neutrality, because it says, um, when it refers to step 11, I'm not, um, I'm not wasting energy so foolishly. And the last thing I'll say is a good friend of mine in program says, DNR, drama not required. I get to live life on life's terms. I don't have to have everything be a crisis where I'm reactive and pissing people off like he did here in a row with his, uh, what he thought were friends. And I am so grateful that recovery is also progressive and thank you, God, for this program. I pass. Thank you, Reva P. Tina F., you're our last share for right now. Thank you. Hi, this is Tina F from Florida. Thanks, Katie, for your service. Uh, Heard some really, really good things this morning. So grateful. Uh, Compulsive eater, anorexic. Uh, You know, it's it's interesting because I'm in another program and for a very long time, you know, I thought my eating was that I didn't continue, you know, that I was on this cycle of uh, binge and um, purge or and then, you know, not eat for a week, but never where it went on for many, many days. And, and it's interesting, the longer I stay abstinent, and the more I'm in re- recovery, that 
you know, uh, God disclose, uh, it says in page 164, God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. And, and that's what's happened in my recovery. And, you know, I can remember, you know, I, I always ate in a blackout, so I never really knew how much food I ate. But that's not the truth because I didn't always eat in a blackout because today, and I don't know if it's because of Halloween or whatever it is, you know, when the paragraph was read that we, you know, our drinking took on more serious uh, proportions, I thought about years ago camping with friends, drunk and eating, and I can remember. And, it, and, I, and I heard it shared, and I so relate, you know, I ostracized myself from others more than they did me because I felt so disgusted, so apart from instead of a part of. And, and, you know, so therefore all I could do was eat because I couldn't, you know, participate in anything else and I didn't have a solution. And that's, you know, that's not the truth. I've heard it said and I truly believe that was my solution at the time. And it saved me till I came to Overeaters Anonymous. And uh, today, you know, my solution is God, power greater than myself. And, uh, you know, but I can remember just that, uh, utter defeat of all I could do would, was eat. And, and at that time, you know, all I can really remember is like sweets, you know, because I was not one, th- this is just for me, you know, I was not one who wanted to eat a meal. You know, I was going to eat a dozen of donuts, two dozen of donuts or whatever, you know. And, and when I came into programming uh, the last time in 1999, you know, first time I come in, I was a compulsive eater only. <laughs> I love that, only, you know, because this, this disease takes on many proportions. Uh, or aspects, and the last time I came in, I was anorexic, and I didn't really want to identify there. I wanted to just be a compulsive eater so I could maybe keep that a little secret there. And so, you know, today, you know, I don't have to lie to me or I don't have to lie to you. You know, a power greater than myself keeps me truthful and uh, keeps me, you know, on an even keel today and to be able to be of service to God and those about me, and that's my job today. You know, I have a new employer today, and, you know, and I take that very serious. Even though I work in, in a doctor's office, I have a new employer, and it's God, and I try to be of maximum service to God and those about me. So with that, I'll pass. It's been a fabulous meeting, and thank you so much. Thank you so much, Tina S. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph before we move on? Sally? Leah? Next. Nessa R. Ellen Q. Okay, who is that after Nessa R? Ellen Q. Ellen Q, okay. Okay, we'll go with Sally A, Leah M, Nessa R, and Ellen Q. Sally, Thanks, Katie. Thank you so much, Katie. Good morning, a vision for you. Good morning, my family. It's LEA recovered in South Jersey. And so I just want to speak to these first two sentences. My drinking assumed more serious proportions, continuing all day and almost every night. The remonstrances of my friends terminated in a row and I became a lone wolf. Interesting that he's building up to this crescendo where his entire life is consumed by the um, alcohol It will become all day and every night, and that's what my life was. But interestingly, it's only two sentences. He goes from, I made a host of fair-weathered friends. He's in a really happy place. I made a host of fair-weathered friends. I had friends. Two sentences later, the remonstrances, the expressions of disapproval, 
That's what that word means in the big book dictionary. The expressions of disapproval of my friends terminated. Boom. I don't need you guys in a row. And I became a lone wolf. Did he become a lone wolf because they weren't good friends? Probably not. They probably were good friends. He became a lone wolf because he wanted what he wanted. He was willful like me, this guy. Uh, for me, all roads lead to Bill's story. So he became a lone wolf because, first of all, because it certainly does service the isolation that I require to eat the way I ate. I didn't want people to see the way I ate. I, I was annoyed when they interrupted my eating. I was, I mean, I was disturbed when they interrupted my eating with a phone call or a knock on the door. My whole body was unsettled because I was in the zone. Don't knock on my door now. I became a lone wolf because it was part of facilitating how I ate the remonstrances of my friends. Nobody could stop me. They could try to say, they could, remember the definition of sanity is reasonable. And the definition of insanity is unreasonable. I was unreasonable when it came to the food. So therefore, when my friends and my family, my loved one, my sisters, my children, people that really cared about me would come to me with expressions of not necessarily disapproval, but deep concern. They couldn't control me. I couldn't control me. How are they going to control me? The expressions of disapproval of my friends terminated in a row. Yeah, I bet there were many fights. How dare you? I don't want you to tell me. Don't talk to me like that. This is none of your business. How dare you? What do you think you are? I bet there were lots of rows because I myself had so many rows. I became a lone wolf. I became a lone wolf because it was part of my disease. The isolation was what I needed so that I could eat the way I wanted to eat. And I suspect that was Bill's story too. Thanks for letting me share with that, I pass. Thank you, Sally A. Leah, um, you're up, and Nessa R. Thanks, Katie. My drinking assumed more serious proportions, continuing all day and almost all night. You know, I became a lone wolf. I mean, certainly, you know, as I reread this with everybody, you know, I see the progression of the illness, of the disease. I mean, it used to be that drinking was an important and exhilarating part of his life. Now, you know, his world is starting to get smaller as the alcoholism is getting greater. You know, the consequences are becoming worse. He's drinking and using greater amounts you know, due to his increased tolerance of alcohol and his capacity to drink, which is the nature of the beast, because any attempt to control his alcoholism is an indication that he's already out of control. And I relate to that. I relate to this progression. You know, once I had, quote, unquote, more freedom, meaning I was in college, you know, I had a car, uh, you know, my life started to... uh, have these consequences, my life was deteriorating faster than I could lower my standards. You know, I thought I was eating to feel better. The reality was I always felt worse. I thought I was eating for freedom. The reality was that I had become a slave. 
my life was controlled by my desires, and I kept bowing to the demands of this disease. And, of course, the disease kept raising the bar. There was no freedom. I always had to pay the piper. I was a slave. And, you know, this this uh, isolation that begins, you know, I relate to that because compulsive overeating was an addiction. It had wrapped its talons around my neck and was tightening ever greater. And as a result, I was turning inward away from the usual and normal means of sustaining myself, you know, as a young 20-year-old uh, being involved, you know, with family or friends, uh, living life on life's terms. No, you know, compulsive overeating for me held out this illusion of a shortcut of an easier, softer way of living. And I kept embracing that illusion, but meanwhile, the disease was, uh, you know, encouraging me to turn my back to the world. So I was breaking relationships with family, with friends, with community, and I was retreating behind closed doors. And it's going to get worse for Bill, and it certainly got worse for me, uh, but suffering is the invitation to transformation. And these steps, you know, were designed to lead me out of that hell. But he's got some more heat to bear before he gets to that point. It's going to get much hotter, as it did for me as well. With that, I pass. Thanks so much. Thank you, Leah. And now Nessa R. and then Ellen Q. Nessa, please press star one to unmute. Okay, then let's go on to Ellen Q, and maybe Nessa will come back. Ellen Q, please press star one to unmute. Okay, how about... Hi, can you... Okay, who is this? This is Ellen Q. Okay, great. Go ahead, Ellen. About that. Um, And, uh, yeah, so I haven't shared on this line before, but I listen uh, frequently and um, wanted to say a few things to claim my seat. So uh, I've been uh, in program for eight years or so, and... um, I um, have had this experience of sliding down what feels like a slippery slope. And uh, as I'm listening to people this morning, I'm um, reminded both of that and of the way uh, I uh, I forget that, um, that that happened and that it can happen, that, that, you know, as I sit on the, you know, close to the top of the mountain at the moment, I'm, uh, you know, those those days aren't don't feel so close, um, but I also know that uh, they are much closer than I think they are. As soon as I start that downward slide, um, the disease does uh, have these very particular manifestations that it leads to very quickly to um, isolation and um, um, so so anyway, uh, it's it's good to be reminded of the fact that uh, this disease is real and it's in me and um, 
and there is uh, this solution. So I think that's all I wanted to say. Oh, and I just wanted to um, note something somebody said, which I found uh, useful and wanted to say out loud for myself and anyone who didn't hear it, which is uh, suffering is the invisible, uh, sorry, suffering is the invitation to transformation. Uh, that's a wonderful statement. So thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Ellen. And is Nessa Arbath? Yes, I am. Thank you. I'm so sorry I couldn't unmute before, but I am no so grateful to um, be live. Okay, go ahead, Nessa R. Okay, press star one, Nessa. Hi. Um, can you hear me? Hello? Now I can. Yes, now oh, I can hear you. The voices, the voices came in. I'm having so many issues this morning. I'm sorry, but I, I was saying I'm so grateful to be able to be live on the line this morning. Um, and um, I, uh, like the past two shares, I, I wanted to, um, to talk about the progression of the illness, how, you know, it goes from being uh, fun and exhilarating and then it starts taking a more important role in our lives. And as we're going to see in the next paragraph and the following ones, we start, excuse me, to adjust our activities and our schedule to allow for even more drinking or, in our case, more eating. Um, then it, the disease starts to interfere with our lives, and we still, but we still feel that we're in control. And then, then trouble um, increases, and it gets worse, and we, we realize we're out of control, but we try to regain control. We promise ourselves. We promise others. You know, we switch brands. We move around. We change locations. And then eventually, uh, we repeatedly fail, and our hope of recovery is destroyed. Um, not, uh, but recovery by our, our own means is destroyed. And so we're like in the initial stages here in those story where alcohol starts taking a more important role in his life, um, as it did in mine. And I, I remember up until age 16, um, I only knew binging, and I was a fat kid. But at age 16, something clicked in my mind, and I discovered, and I say discovered because I never read about it, never heard anybody talk about it, I discovered restricting and purging. And I lost like 30 pounds, which was all my weight at the excess weight at the time, in a period of about 10 days. And I thought I had the solution. I was attractive. The boys found me attractive. And I was exhilarated. But I could only do that for so long, and then that quickly became um, uh, binging and purging because I couldn't keep the restricting going on much longer. It was just like my brain was about to explode, um, and it was interspersed periods of restriction for sure, but, you know, the more I try to control my food, the more it controlled me. I, I never wanted to be a normal eater. I wanted to be one of those people who can be bottomless battles and never gain an ounce. That was my goal. Um, but, of course, um, God had different plans for me. And, you know, that pattern continued for most of my, my life until this point. Um, you know, the binging and purging, the restricting and purging, the piling up health problems, you know, the fight with my husband over my weight, um, you know, because when I, I met him and I married, I was a normal size, but not through normal means, um, you know, not through healthy means, uh, that is. 
Um, and now I was reflecting the other day how, you know, for the past four years in recovery, I've been wearing the same clothes. There's no um, going to shop for bigger sizes or smaller sizes for that matter. I am the same normal body size for four straight years almost for the first time in my life. And my head, my head is also a normal um, size head for the first time ever. And what a gift that is. And I could not have gotten there if I had not put the food down honestly and work the steps to the best of my ability according to the big book and continue every single day um, as I've been doing for the past four years. And what a liberation. To me, this is truly, truly exhilarating. And with that, I pass. Thanks for your patience with my uh, technical problems. Okay, thank you so much, Nessa. And we have time for... um two or three more shares if someone would like to take those spots. This is Tracy L. Okay, Tracy L. And then... Duel. Duel and Leah... um, What is your initial? Leah S. Okay. Okay, that'll take us out today. Um, Tracy L., Duel, and Leah S. Go ahead, please, Tracy. This is Tracy A. as an apple in Pennsylvania. Uh, I'd like to share on the part that talks about when when Bill says that he became a lone, a lone wolf. And I think that for me this, this really hit home today in that our disease, uh, for some of us, certainly for me, uh, the disease is, is rooted in the feeling of, of disconnection, that we are not really a part of society or we're not a part of our families, we're not a part of really anything. God, we're certainly not connected to our higher power. And so we're sort of out there. And then we uh, certainly, again, I can speak for myself and I I don't know about others, but uh, part of my solution was to fill that void with food. And that simply (laughs) complicated the problem and it became the lone wolf became even loner. And so a, a wolf who's by their very nature is, is wants to be part of a pack does actions that cause them to become even more of a lone wolf, even more isolated and even more out there. And I think that the, the part of Bill's story that really touches me, so many of them do, but um, is, is the steps that he, he goes through in the progression of his disease are so familiar to us. They touch us on such a deep level. And um, I just think that it's amazing that he put this book together for us to read and share. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Tracy A. And next we have Duel. Good morning. It's Duel from New York, um, Recover Compulsive Reader. I also like to uh, touch on that paragraph. My drinking became... Um, assume a more serious proportion and you know, show me the um the disease. Um do we're not really hearing you. Can you um change your location or something?
Okay, we seem to have lost Do. Let's go on to Leah S., and then we'll see if we can get back to Do. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. <clears throat> this is Leah S., Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Um, my drinking assumed more serious proportions, continuing almost every day and every single night. Um, the delusion that I used to have, that I used to say to myself, okay, this meal only, people used to say to me, okay, only one meal, have it abstinently. And I would say, yes, this meal only. And before I knew it, I was chipping in and serving and then serving again because I had chipped the whole thing, and then I was doing it again and again. And it's, it, didn't, it didn't stop with the eating and chipping off. It, stopped, it went on. My mind kept telling me, it's okay. I don't feel thirsty. It's okay. I'm going to drink enough water. It's, more serious issues were going on in my body that I was trying to, I was trying to um, deny and and not not bring to the surface. And before I knew it, I didn't even know what what happened to me. What happened to that meal when the whole week had passed? That is how insidious and crazy I used to be with this disease. Thank you, dear God. Thank you for OA, and thank you for this meeting. I pass. Okay, is Duel come back? Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Sorry, I just uh, I got disconnected. Um, so okay. my name is Duel. Um, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from New York. And I just want to share on that on that part where it says my my drinking assumed more serious proportions and continued day and almost every night and you know that's when the disease um, stops being a, a luxury and it becomes a necessity and for me it was just that you know it was just um, the fact that I just knew that. I could not, you know, I could not stop eating after a while. And, you know, and then it says that, you know, the remonstrances of my friends terminated in a row and I became a lone wolf. Well, I don't become a lone wolf by choice. You know, I become a lone wolf. And I love the the prior um, uh, speaker. Um, she was talking about the fact that, you know, that there are actions that we take that, that lead to those consequences. And for me, that's what it was. I was so much into the food, I would become a raging lunatic. I would go to restaurants and I would be demanding my food. Well, what happened with my friends? They didn't want to be around me. They didn't want to be in that company where I became a raging lunatic. I would go to restaurants and I would demand certain foods from the waiter, waiters. And um, and they didn't like my attitude, you know, nor did my friends. You know, they thought it was shameful. It was embarrassing. They didn't want to be around me. And eventually those friends left me because they did not want to be embarrassed by my behavior. They did not want to be embarrassed by my attitude towards the food. I didn't know it. I thought I was being justified. You know, I thought I had a right and entitlement to my food. And um, what I didn't understand is that I had a disease. 
I had a disease of an allergy of the body, a mental obsession, which led me and condemned me to that lifestyle. And that disease became more and more progressive to the point, you know, where I became so isolated. I didn't have a community around me. I didn't have friends around me. I didn't have anyone around me. Why? Because my food took the first priority. It took the proportion where it talks about, you know, it was very serious and it led me to futility. Um, and, you know, and one last thing that I want to share is that, you know, um, he, he talked about there was no real infidelity with his wife because by extreme drunkenness. Well, I didn't get into other problems and, and other issues because I was too drunk on the food. You know, I was too drunk on the food to suffer those other consequences. But I'm more than sure if I had clarity enough, I would have, I would have definitely gone into those roads also. But I'm grateful today that we have a solution, we have a way out, and that, um, and and we're going to continue to talk about that, and and we're going to continue to talk about the 12 steps. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Well, we have come to the end of our time, so. Um, Thank you to everyone who has shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour study immediately, immediately, sorry, immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Lynn S. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Hi, this is Lynn S. from Toronto, Canada. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.